The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's January 27th, 2022, as we record a new show. David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox, as expected, was the only player to be voted into baseball's Hall of Fame. That is certainly newsworthy, as is seen both Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens get shut out by the writers. Their Hall of Fame fates now lie in the upcoming committee's hands to decide if or when both get in. But what grabbed headlines this week in baseball is, of course, the ongoing Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement talks. Both parties met face-to-face in Manhattan to negotiate core economics of a new CBA. There's no deal in place, but we did get insight that the Major League Baseball Players Association might be focusing more on getting younger players paid with an increase in minimum salary. Major League Baseball countered the MOBPA's offer with a 5% raise, which doesn't cover inflation. Shockingly, there's still no deal. I have been wondering for a bit how these negotiations are being covered. We, fans, content creators, other media outlets, are getting this information often second or third hand. What really goes on in collective bargaining talks? Well, it so happens that someone with that knowledge has been sharing it on Twitter. His name is Eugene Friedman, and he's the counsel to the president of the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. I find his discourse refreshing when it comes to trying to figure out what's happening between the league and the Players Association, and he is kind enough to join us now on this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Eugene, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Josh. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So for our listeners and followers who may not be familiar with you, can you share your background, especially with your work with the National Air Traffic Controllers Association? Sure. So um, I'm a labor lawyer, um, a union side labor lawyer. Before I came to NATCA, I negotiated uh, a couple of collective bargaining agreements as a member uh, 
So I was a member of the union uh, as well as being a lawyer. And uh, I was on those bargaining committees, negotiated the CBAs uh, on my own behalf uh, with my uh, fellow members, and then came to NATCA about 17 years ago. And uh, for NATCA, I've negotiated uh, four CBAs with the FAA, an additional I think seven or eight extension agreements uh, for those CBAs, three uh, with our staff union uh, representing management on the side <laughs> of uh, the employer, uh, which is which is an interesting hat to wear as a union side labor lawyer. Uh, and one, uh, we also represent uh, federal contract towers, uh, which are towers that are um, contracted out by the FAA to be operated by uh, private sector tower operators. And in one of those, about a decade ago, we reached impasse and I was asked to step in and take over the negotiations. Uh, and we broke impasse and reached agreement. So I don't know how many CBAs that is total, uh, probably <laughs> about 10 term CBAs that I've negotiated. All right. So you got a great deal of experience with what's going on, especially a collective bargaining agreement and the negotiations. So I want to start with the media depiction of the talks between the league and the Players Association. In your opinion, are, are the national outlets doing a good job relaying what's happening between the two parties and conveying to fans on the, the talks between the league and the Players Association? I think it really varies who is delivering the message. I would say that there are some national media that do a really good job of uh, reporting and uh, advising people uh, about you know what's going on. I think that a lot of the times, because the terms of art are very specific in labor law and collective bargaining, they sometimes use, I guess you'd say, you know, common parlance. Mm -hmm. um, and when they do that, they sometimes run into trouble. Uh, one of those words is impasse. Impasse means that the parties have basically reached the end of bargaining. They can't reach agreement. And uh, when impasse is reached, it basically gives management, particularly management, specific tools uh, that it may use to unilaterally implement their last best offer. That's not something that has happened in the negotiations during 2020 to reopen bargaining. Uh, it didn't happen even in the 1994-95 strike. Uh, the the uh, National Labor Relations Board, as well as uh, the, the district court uh, where Judge Sotomayor, now Justice Sotomayor, heard the case. She found that the parties were not at impasse, and so unilateral implementation was not available to management. And so to say that the parties are impasse, at impasse just because they've not yet reached agreement uh, is, is painting a false picture. Uh, the parties are still in disagreement. They're still working through the issues, and they're still negotiating. Uh, so that is, by definition, not impasse. Another term that's been used that's that's been used incorrectly is concessions. Uh, in collective bargaining, concessions generally means that the union had something already in a previous agreement, and it's giving it up in order to protect some other right that they're interested in, whether it's management says, hey, if you don't take a 20% pay cut, we're going to move the plant to Mexico. That would be a concession. If you make a proposal for something new and you withdraw that proposal, all you've done is withdrawn a bad proposal uh, or a proposal that was unachievable. Uh, you haven't made a concession. And so, you know, when the union uh, withdrew its proposal, 
to uh, reduce the time to uh, achieve free agency from uh, six years to five years. When it withdrew that, it didn't make a concession. It just withdrew a proposal. The same was when management withdrew its proposal uh, to start arbitration at three years instead of the current Super 2 status. Uh, that's not a concession. They just withdrew their proposal. Uh, and so, you know, those terms of art are, are critical in capturing what's actually going on between the parties. And, you know, I would hope that you know my tweeting about the the ongoing negotiations can help educate not just the public but also the media so that they can phrase things in uh, a more appropriate way so rob manfred in his letter to baseball fans on december 2nd 2021 he wrote quote simply put we believe that an off-season lockout is the best mechanism to protect the 2022 season end quote then the league didn't meet with the Players Association for 42 days after that letter was published and 43 days after the lockout was official on December 1st, 2021. Is that a normal collective bargaining tactic taken by Major League Baseball to have a lockout and then proceed not to talk to the other party for 40 plus days? So, yeah, that that was a really interesting letter, and it contained a lot of falsehoods, um, both misrepresenting the status of bargaining and misrepresenting the state of the law in the United States. So uh, in the letter, the commissioner said, you know, this is just part of the negotiating process. Well, it's not really part of the process. It's a management tactic. Management is free to do it, but it's a unilateral right of management. Uh, it is not required. Uh, it's actually uncommon for a lockout to occur. Um, in, in baseball in particular, there hasn't been a lockout since the 80s. That was a, a decision. It, it was a decision that was not made by both sides. Uh, and a lot of the media seems to place blame on both sides, whether they're trying to be objective or something else more nefarious is behind it. I don't know. But when they say, you know, both sides are responsible for this, that's not true. This was a unilateral action. It was not required. Stating that this is, you know, both sides are, are responsible for the lockout is not true. And I, I think it's important to note that management can end the lockout at any point. Uh, it's a completely unilateral action, and only they are responsible for it. Uh, additionally, you know, the letter said that the commissioner hoped that this would, you know, er, you know, move the parties towards resolution, that it would spur negotiations. And then his, his side took a 42-day Christmas vacation. Uh, now, I assume for part of that time, they were working, you know, on, on their own to develop their, their most recent proposal. But when the ball is in your court and you say you want to move the process fast, you don't then take four or excuse me, 40 or more days off. You know, in the way we negotiate normally, we work for two weeks together. That doesn't mean we're in the room together all the time, but, you know, we're meeting face-to-face -face part of each day and we're working on proposals, counter-proposals and reviewing the, the other side's proposals, you know, in our caucus. Uh, and then we take a week or two off between sessions, uh, regroup, go back to our other you know, activities and responsibilities. And then we get back together for another two weeks. Uh, so we're usually like two weeks on, two weeks off. 
and, and that sets a, a pretty good pace of negotiations. In some negotiations, I've I've done straight through, uh, mm-hmm. where we meet every day until we have an agreement, and that's grueling, because you really you don't get a break, you don't have a chance to um, regroup and refresh. Um, and and uh, in one of those instances, we were working with uh, professional mediators to help us reach agreement. So you know that move the process faster. Uh, but, you know, it, it is a complicated process. I think fans sometimes expect and, and the media will sometimes couch it as, why don't you guys just get in a room and get a deal? Uh-huh. It's not that simple. There's a lot of tentacles to a lot of these proposals. Uh, some of them have unforeseen consequences. You know, I don't think the union saw the effect of the draft pick compensation in the last agreement. And it had obviously devastating effect on free agency for players over 30 who were not at, you know, the highest level of the game. So, you know, every time they enter negotiations, they have to try to model these things out. They can't just sit in the room and say, yeah, that sounds like a good, good idea. Let's move on to the next topic. They have to kind of work through it, work in their caucus. Sometimes those caucus negotiations with your own side are the hardest ones because you've got to get everybody in consensus that it's a good proposal to make. So yeah, it's 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 not exactly um, an easy situation and it, it, it won't come so fast. Uh, but I think right now, one of the positive aspects is that the parties are uh, talking the same language. Um, their proposals are on the same topics. They're not seeking major revisions. Um, and so, yes, they're apart on a lot of economic issues, uh, but they're not apart on philosophical issues, which is, I think, a, a key aspect to reaching an agreement. So from the owner's perspective, the Colorado Rockies owner, chairman, Dick Manfort, he's one of the lead representatives for the owner subcommittee with these talks. And during a recent meeting with the Players Association, he tried to plead his case that the teams are once again not making that much money and such expenses like ballpark security are rising, which are causing complications for the owners. Uh, is Monfort helping the case to a new deal here or is he possibly opening up a wound for the league itself during these negotiations with the Players Association in which the owners really never open up their books with the exception of the Blue Jays because they're owned publicly and the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, so that that's uh, something that is kind of, I guess, what you might call labor law 101. When you're at the table as management, you never say, we can't afford something. <laughs> we can't afford your proposal or, uh, because that does trigger different responsibilities. Now, we don't know exactly what he said. We, we only know what was reported. But mm-hmm. in those reports, uh, he did say we can't afford some, some owners can't afford their teams. And that may have made uh, a, a new uh, avenue for the Players Association to pursue. Now, obviously, the context matters, whether it actually would have triggered something. But that's something that you tell your management team on day one. Don't say we can't afford it. Say we don't agree with it. Say it's cost prohibitive. We think that this is just isn't a reasonable proposal. We'll be right back with more with Eugene Friedman and the conversations regarding the Major League Baseball CBA after a quick word from our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So the perceived big economic sticking point, I say perceived based on the most recent reports from the Players Association side, as you mentioned, they withdrew the six years to free agency path and not going right now. Five years. Yeah, to to five years or age-based system. Right. The two sides, there's a pretty significant difference when it comes to this bonus pool. If a player that hasn't reached three years yet wins rookie of the year, MVP, Cy Young, the association wants $105 million for that bonus pool to divvy out. The league only wants to offer $10 million. So that's a gigantic difference. But the minimum salary, the league is offering a 5% raise, so $615,000 minimum for the first year. The league wants $750,000 for fans that watch this sport. They look at the league and say, this is a 10 plus billion dollar industry. And if the players association wants 750 and the league only wants to pay 615, are these two numbers close enough that a deal is coming together or could this, you know, seemingly small gap, we're just talking hundreds of thousands of dollars for millionaires and billionaires, uh, could be a sticking point in negotiations that causes this lockout to extend. I, I think we don't need, and it's important not to focus specifically on the most recent negotiations and what was discussed in that one meeting. So yes, this bonus pool is uh, 
part of the, the wide range of issues that are still outstanding between the parties. And it was what they discussed at the last uh, meeting between the parties on Tuesday. Uh, but it is only one aspect. So my understanding is the Players Association had a number of key asks. Uh, one was related to um, whether or not they were going to uh, increase uh, the ability to, for, for employees or, or players to uh, make money sooner. So part of that is the minimum. Part of that is uh, how much they make during their pre-arbitration years. Uh, part of that is um, when they're eligible for arbitration. And the parties have not agreed on any of those things. Uh, and one of those potential fixes was, you know, how soon players might be eligible for free agency. You know, that that's all still outstanding other than when they'll be eligible for free agency. Uh, and the players have, as you noted, withdrawn their proposal. Um, and uh, so that that seems to be wrapped up. Uh, but there are other issues as well, which is tanking. Um, and the Players Association is, is very much uh, wanting to create more competitive balance. I know that the competitive balance tax is named for competitive balance, but when the Pirates receive $58 million uh, in shared revenue uh, for uh, national TV this year, which is a 30% increase as reported by Maury Brown of Forbes, uh, you know, you're talking about a significant amount of shared revenue right there. Uh, then they have a $50 million local TV package. Uh, then they have other shared revenue, some from the competitive balance tax, some from other commissioner controlled uh, funds, such as uh, Major League Baseball advanced media and things like that for streaming and so forth. Um, you know, all of those things go in before a single ticket is sold. So you're talking about revenues of upwards of $120 million for the Pirates, a low revenue franchise. Uh, and then on top of that, you're adding ticket sales and merchandise and things like that. So, you know, when the Pirates then spend $55 million on player salaries, yes, they have other operations costs. Yes, they have um, a variety of minor league teams that they're funding and, you know, academies in Latin America and things like that. But they're not spending $170 million or $180 million on those things. Um, and I'm not even counting all revenue, right? I'm, I'm counting the revenue that I know about as a complete outsider. Uh -huh. um, so you're talking about a $120 million difference. Um, and the Pirates aren't unique. They're just an example because they're considered a woeful franchise. Well, part of their woes are they keep trading with the Rays and keep getting worse <laughs> every time they do it. But, you know, the, 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 the thought is these teams are not broke. These teams can afford more. And to spread out so much revenue among the teams that are just choosing not to compete whether they're rebuilding like the Orioles on an extended rebuild or they're, they're not rebuilding at all like the pirates, they're just losing year after year. Um, you know, those, those things affect the overall expenditure on players and, and the union knows that. So it wants to keep teams from keeping all that revenue and not spending it. One way to do that is to reduce the amount of revenue that's shared. And so They've, they've looked at that. There, there are discussions about changing the draft so the teams aren't you know, rewarded with better draft picks 
and, and a variety of other things. So those are the things on the players association side, but let's not forget management is also asking for some major things in these negotiations. The competitive balance tax expired at the end of the last regular season. So in order to um, have a competitive balance tax this year and in future years, it has to be negotiated again. The players are obviously amenable to that. They've made proposals already creating or recreating a competitive balance tax. The players have also uh, agreed in concept to the idea of expanded playoffs, which is a huge ask for management. They asked for it back in 2020. Uh, it was agreed to as a one-time only to make up for lost revenue during the, uh, during the no fans games, um, but it was not provided for 2021 because like the competitive balance tax, the Players Association wanted to go into these negotiations with a major chip available to them to trade for something else they wanted. And in this case, that revenue uh, generated by uh, you know, TV especially for these uh, additional playoff games will be huge. And the players want a share of that. Um, and whether that's a direct share, like they proposed back in 2020, or it's a uh, share based on you know, increased uh, salaries overall, increased um, salaries earlier in players' careers, uh, something like that, you know, that's what they're looking for. But in concept, they haven't opposed it. Um, so management knows that its two major goals are going to be achieved. The only question is, what are they gonna agree to in exchange to meet those two major goals? Um, you know, and, and the other thing the Players Association has asked for, for for a number of cycles now is a universal DH. I think management can't treat that as a traded item now. Management wants pitchers not to get hurt swinging the bat and running the bases. It benefits both parties. The fact that it hasn't been agreed to is a shame. That shows that management is not yet serious about this because that's an issue that can be resolved immediately without any question. And it, it may have some minor costs associated with it, uh, but it may also save money on the back end for injured pitchers. So um, there, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that would show that the parties are really moving towards agreement once they knock that off the table, mm -hmm. because that's a, a shared interest. If the league drags its feet more, because we, we're not quite sure when they're supposed to meet again, for another core economics talk. And this gets dragged into March and there is no CBA and Major League Baseball still has the lockout enforced. Is there anything legally that the Players Association can do to challenge the lockout by Major League Baseball? No, uh, because this is, a, as I said, a tactic um, and it's a tactic under the law that's, that's provided. It's one of the presumed options for economic warfare, you know, on the player side, they can engage in a strike. Uh, management side can engage in a lockout uh, unless the lockout is for an illegal reason. Uh, and in, in this case, it's not, you know, there's really nothing legally that could challenge it. The players can win the PR battle. We want to go back. Uh, but, you know, as I said, with the media saying, you know, both sides are responsible, it may not be worth that PR battle. The, the other piece of it, I guess, is that, you know, losing spring training games 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cliff. And I've explained it this way. You've got the coyote chasing after the roadrunner. If he catches the roadrunner, they have a deal. He's chasing after him. He's trying to make the deal. He's running at this cliff at, you know, 100 miles an hour. Well, when he gets to the cliff, it's not a fall splat on, you know, from 800 feet up. He's running at this cliff and he's falling five feet. He's stumbling and he's keep right on running, chasing that deal. And when he gets to the regular season, he's got another cliff and he falls, you know, maybe 10 feet and he doesn't go splat. He keeps right on running because they have no other choice. They have to make an agreement. It's just who has the levers against the other side and who can use that leverage effectively to get the agreement that they want. Now, a lot of these things are are mutual interests, you know, and there is a mutual interest in playing games. The players on opening day is when they start to accrue their salaries. They don't receive money during spring training. So I don't think they're that concerned about missing spring training games other than the preparedness and the, the health risk, you know, all of those intangibles. But in terms of tangibles, the loss of income, they won't experience that until opening day. Management starts to experience a loss of income when they don't have spring training games. They start to receive pressure from those municipalities that aren't getting tax receipts. You know, they start hearing it from fans in Florida and Arizona. How come we're not seeing these games? And then starting opening day, they start losing revenue from other things. Now, some of them may not lose revenue for their local TV, but they'll lose ticket receipts. They'll lose merchandise sales. They'll lose those things. Obviously, their big ticket is, is TV money, national TV money. And when they lose national TV money, that pressure comes more in August September and October. And so from that perspective, this is a defensive lockout. They didn't want to give the union the uh, lever of power there uh, to strike in August and put at risk the playoff money that they had coming. Ultimately, the players could decide we're not giving in now and it gets to August anyway. And then who's locking whom out at that point does does management say yeah we want you back under the existing cba because that's what they would have uh and they wouldn't have a competitive balance tax so steve cohen who you know signed all those players right leading up to the lockout and has a has a potential payroll significantly more than 210 million dollars this year and also way more than i think 214 which is what management offered last which is a ridiculously low increase, he's not going to have a competitive balance tax this year if, if they restore the status quo. And, and labor law preserves the status quo. So the parties, in the absence of an agreement, continue to operate under their last existing CBA. And if the lockout weren't in place, the existing CBA would be in place. And you know, from that perspective, who are they locking out? I think they're locking out Steve Cohen, the Dodgers, and perhaps a handful of other teams that might have blown through the the prior competitive mm-hmm. balance caps threshold. I've, I've never really thought of it that way. Finally, based on your experience and what you're seeing here, there's a lot of people who think that until they get closer to a deadline, like no deal gets done until there's some type of deadline that you're coming up against. And 
People have used the opening of spring training as a deadline. There are many that use opening day as a deadline. Do you think that we as fans and the media and other content creators, et cetera, are in a serious threat of having opening day, which is scheduled to be in late March, pushed back into April or even in May? I would say this thing. Baseball does not have a time clock. Same with collective bargaining. There's really no deadline to reach a deal. The parties have the same obligation, the same duty to bargain in, in good faith um, until they reach an agreement, uh, whether they're meeting, whether they're not meeting, whether they are preventing work from being accomplished, or they are on strike, or they are in an off season when they're not working. They have the exact same duty. So the party, and they can't, they can't divorce each other. I mean, this is a situation where management can't say, we don't want the union and we're going to do it without them. And the union can't say, we're, we're, we don't like management, we're going to do it without them. They need each other. They're required to meet. They're required to bargain. So I think opening day, as I said, is a, is a leverage point. I don't think it is a drop dead deadline. And, you know, an expectation that the clock's going to run out or an expectation that, you know, bargaining is going too slowly. Yeah, when you don't meet for 42 days, it's going too slowly. But when you meet for two straight days and you take a couple of days off and, and likely meet the next week, uh, and you're talking about the same things conceptually, philosophically, I think that that is a reason to be optimistic. And, you know, I, as a negotiator, I think you always have to be optimistic. You can hate the other side. But you have to know you're going to get a deal because it's your job to get a deal. And there's no option not to get a deal. You know, we talk about something called a BATNA, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. I'm not sure what either party's BATNA is in this case. In the best alternative to a negotiated agreement for management is frequently unilateral implementation of their last best offer. In this case, they're not going to do that. If they unilaterally implement, the players are going to go on strike. What is the player's best alternative to a negotiated agreement? I don't know that they have one. because there, there's, not, there's really nothing out there other than making an, agree, an agreement for them. I, I think from that perspective, there's going to be a deal. We have to be patient. We have to trust the parties are acting in their own best interests and not in bad faith uh, until we have evidence of bad faith. And once we have evidence, I'm sure, you know, on Twitter, I'll say this is bad faith or, you know, th there's a concept called surface bargaining uh, where you're pretending to bargain. You're basically moving around the deck chairs on the Titanic, but have no real intent to reach an agreement. And, you know, if management is doing that, I will call them out on that. But right now uh, they're modifying their proposals slowly. Um, their first proposal, management's first proposal was ludicrous. It was never something that the union would ever agree to. It made no sense. They probably really didn't start thinking about reasonable proposals until that 42 days off. And they came back with something that was less unreasonable, but still had zero chance of success. Uh, the union turned around quickly uh, and, and this past Monday made a proposal to move towards resolution by taking that one issue off the table. Uh, so I think, you know, as they start whittling down subjects, 
withdrawing bad proposals and making proposals that are on the same page, even though they're not overlapping, uh, that shows you that they're making progress towards a deal. So I think they'll make a deal. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you when, and I can't tell you what thing is going to really push one side or another. But I think after 2020, I think the players have a lot of solidarity. I mean, management dragged its feet. It kept saying, we want fewer games, we want fewer games, we want fewer games, until it got to the point where it had as few games as they could argue was a legitimate season. And then they said, now we're going to implement fewer games. So they ran the clock out there. I don't think that, you know, we're going to end up in that type of situation in this case. Well, you could follow Eugene on Twitter for his analysis on the conversations that are going on between the league and the players association at Eugene Friedman and Eugene, this was incredibly insightful, just an awesome conversation. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Sox machine podcast. Thanks, Josh. I really enjoyed our conversation uh, and, and I'm glad I had a chance to join. That will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you have been a long-time lurker or brand new to Sox Machine and enjoy our work, think about joining our Patreon. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to acquire our new Sox Machine swag at patreon.com slash Machine. I want to thank our new Patreon supporter, Hugh Harlan, and one of our oldest supporters, Kevin Shannon, who has been with us since the start of 2018. And in a few weeks, I'll be starting our MLB draft coverage with college baseball opening day coming and our Patreon supporters get weekly reports of the top draft prospects. To get that exclusive content, again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.